0: The Lord, our God, is center to everything. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God is the center. We have to understand that because when we get into Judges, we're told of this whole different story. Thank you for joining us on the Orangewood Church Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on our latest news and events. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube for more content and to know when we are live. We hope today's message inspires you and leads you closer in your walk with God. Thank you again for being a part of this uh, this church this morning, or this this body of believers because we are the church, and so um, we get to start judges oh yay um if you if you haven't read through the book of judges um it's pretty incredible there's some pretty uh brutal stories in the book of judges there's some pretty brutal truths in the book of judges. It can be pretty weighty. Uh, pretty heavy, and today we are going to kind of hit some of that heaviness first before we get into some of the characters and the stories over the next few weeks. Um, but this this book of the Bible, like all the rest of the books of the Bible, require us to examine them deeper than typically what we can do on a Sunday morning. Um, the pastor gets this wonderful job of trying to take everything in Scripture to make it condensable for what we need, but there, there's so much that we can't put in because we would just keep going and going and going um, because Scripture is so full of so many deep, deep-seated deep truths. Um, so what I'm hopeful for out of the next four weeks is that the book of Judges becomes interesting enough that you go home and do your own research on it and let that research spur conversations with one another um, to the point where maybe you come back going, hey pastor, I didn't get this part. What's going on with this part of the book of Judges? And challenge me to dig deeper too because um, you know, we're here to build each other up, right? So like, let's just be a launching point for that to happen. As we uh, as we start this, though, there are some things, a couple things that we're going to clarify today, uh, just so that we're on the same page when we hear terms or we try to understand the the, the template of judges overall. The first one I want to kind of uh, just clarify, or just kind of get an understanding of, is the term judges. When we hear the term judge in our in our society in our culture, we think of um, maybe Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown, or anyone that's on like Fox between like noon and three o'clock, um, Monday through Friday. The judge in our culture is the one who lays down the sentence, who provides the resolution of justice. However, in, in the Book of Judges, that's not necessarily the case. They do have um, this. This uh, some of them have this uh, weird um, judging moment of of some things happening, but they are just leaders to help God's people get back to the relationship that they need restored. All right? Those are the judges. That's that's the the point, the, the definition that we're looking at is that they are there as leaders. Also, depending on who you go to for a source, they're going to say there's 12 judges. Some will say there's 15 judges. Um, really... Uh, for, for what we're doing in the next three or four weeks. We're not concerned with how many there are, uh, just in the fact that they are there and they are there and there are some great truths that we are going to lean, learn from and glean from them. I lost my notes. Where are they at? There they are. That was weird. The pattern, the other part of the pattern that I want us to understand when we get to the book of Judges is that On a small scale, Israel just does what Israel does. Um, Things are going really great. They get complacent or rebel against God. God has to, therefore, punish them or put them in captivity or help teach them how to come back to God, and then there's a judge to restore them. And this cycle just continues through the book of Judges on a small scale because when we look at the Old Testament, we see that there's that same cycle on the big scale they're one with God. Things are great. They they get out of out of step, out of tune with God. They rebel. They do things that they shouldn't do. They are put into slavery or captivity for a number of years, and then someone brings them out back into that redemptive relationship again. They're restored with God, and then the whole cycle just continues. But that, that cycle happens in judges on a much smaller scale. So those are two big things that I want us to kind of understand. One, again, judges are the leaders that are called out, Um, Leaders that we wouldn't have expected, and that's a big part of what we're going to talk about the next few weeks, leaders that came out of the unexpected. Uh, The other part is the cycle. Two big things, right? Okay. Are we all tracking with that? Clear as mud so far? Okay, good. In Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2, this kind of lays the foundational part of why things are the way things are. Okay, if you... you, And I'm not going to go through the whole entire two chapters here, so I want to encourage you again to go home, read those two chapters, and go, "Oh my goodness," because um, it's pretty heavy. However, um, in order to understand the heaviness, we need to take a jump back. All right? So if you do have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to be in there for, for a few verses here. This time frame of judges is, is after. Israel comes into the Promised Land, or uh, a generation after the Promised Land, and uh, or the people being in the Promised Land, and things get a little wonky. Okay, but why do they get wonky? Well, to understand why they get wonky, we need to understand how things need to be. So, Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to start with verse six. And read through verse nine. This is also a part of what we call the Shema, or not what we call the Shema, what. Um, the Jewish people call the Shema, and we, we let that be a part um, this whole chapter, in a sense. Um, I'm going to back up to verse 4. It's not on the screen, but um, the Shema starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that part's not up on the screen. That part is, is central, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the only one. And with everything that we are as human beings, we are to love God with everything that we have. All right? So then it says in verse six through nine, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So like your soul, everything like deep within you, right? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads or on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right. So, when it comes to the story of God, this is pretty all encompassing. When you wake up, as you sit down at the table, as you're dealing with life, as you enter your house, what you consider your protection, as you enter the gates, as you enter, there should be signs and symbols of God around that to continually remind you that God is the center. So that's the first one. The second uh, portion we're going to read is 10 through uh, 12, which just kind of continues. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. Sorry. I'm going to read this again without talking about Abraham stuff because when I kept reading this, like... He's reminding them about Abraham, Isaac, and all your fathers, this is who. I'm going to reread it without them because it makes a little bit more sense, or at least it did with when, I, when I read it. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, a land to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Okay, so speak about God. Everything about your life should be reminding about God because you need to be reminded of that everything that is in front of you, God provided. It's amazing. Like we, we do a lot of great things with our hands and we work and we create and we and we use our mind and, and everything about us to create things, but all of that stuff that we create comes from a source. And that source is God. So everything that we do, everything we put our hands on, everything that we, we take in, we need to remember that the source from all that is God. All right. So then verses 16 through 25, the last part of this chapter, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa, be sure to keep the commands of, of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you may go It may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. Anyone catching on to a theme right now? The Lord is the center, right? Okay. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out there, out, out from there to bring us in and give us the, the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the law before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. The Lord our God is center to everything. Deuteronomy chapter 6 God is the center. We have to understand that because when we get into judges, we're told of this whole different story, right? In Judges chapter two, verses 10 and 11, let me open up to there myself here, let me get to that How do things get so bad? This isn't the whole issue, but this is the beginning of the issue. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning that the generation that had come into the promised land had died, after another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Essentially, what happened was a generation that died out from coming into the promised land, Forgot to tell the story of God. The Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six through nine. Tell the stories. Sit down at the table. Remind people what God has done they did not do. Be thankful for. If you don't tell the stories, what are you thankful for? And if you're not thankful for it, how, are you, how, do, how is God the center? If God's not the center, then you serve other things the beginning of the ushering in of the time of Judges came from complacency. It came from a people who knew God and saw the greatness of God, but got so comfortable in what was happening. What else did they need to do? It didn't work out so well. They didn't teach the children. This whole generation just grew up. And how do you lose something in a generation We'll speak to a family that's migrated from a different country to another country. The parents and grandparents will continue to show the children their, their rituals, their, their ways of living, because why? Because it only takes a generation for a language to be lost. It takes a generation for practices to be forgotten. It doesn't take much for things to go away. So this is the start of the heaviness of judges, and I want us to internalize this, this beginning portion into how modern church is going. This is where, like, and, and, and if you're a visitor with us this morning, like you might be like, "This isn't very fun." Um, scripture points us into directions where we get uncomfortable sometimes, and that's good. Because we have to answer for some things Maybe you don't talk like this. I'd venture to say that probably most don't, but when pastors get together we ask each other questions. We do. We ask each other questions about the and concerns that we have for the church and as a whole and where we see things going and 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 stories that we're hearing and we talk about these things because this is the forefront of our call in our lives. And there's been this small little trend that's been coming up in the past couple of years of of worship leaders and prominent Christian big church bands where they they drop their faith and say, I don't get it. How in the world can the church have an answer for this when culture is clashing so hard this way? And then they say, I don't have a faith anymore, and they walk away. And therefore, a number of people end up going, well, I can't believe this either, too. And we have this, this void. And it's really easy. And I've noticed it's really easy for us as pastors to go well, out there. Why did they just learn enough? Why did they do anything better? Why did they study harder? As I'm reading Judges, what I'm learning is that, oh, my gosh, us men and women in the church, we didn't disciple them well. We put them into positions before they were mature enough to, do, to handle it. And so when they fall, we can look back and they say, oh, well, we can, Well, what else would they have done? Well, what happened? What, what did we not do? This is, this, is, this is the heart of Judges. It fell. Why? <laughs> what happened to the generation? Well, what did the previous generation not do?
1: And then even
0: now, out not in the, in the in the church circle, but just in the life circle that we live in, older generations and younger generations throughout history, even what we see now, is there's always this weird disconnect in social constructs and structures and how we live life. And it's easy for older generations to shrug them off because we don't get it. I put myself in that category, the we, because... Believe it or not, I turned 40 in a couple months. I know I look 20, but I am going to be 40. And uh, thank you for laughing at that and going, you don't look 20 at all. Um, I know there's a a disconnect and, and, and a different way of thinking with people in their teens and their 20s and even in their 30s as opposed to what I'm doing. Right? Like, I don't understand some of the language now, and that's okay. And if I'm honest, well, one of the things that I've been doing in the past year is I've been slowly separating myself from social media personally because it's brought along the stress and just time wasted in scrolling and seeing other people's pictures. And I'm like, oh, I like that. Well, if I like that, why not go do that myself? But here's the thing. I said a few months ago, I'm not a part of that stuff because I don't have time for it. And there's some truth to that. I've got two boys. i got a wife in a a marriage that my wife and I are cultivating and and digging deeper into every single year. I've got boys that are growing up. I've been honored and, and just given the privilege to pastor an incredible church of people. And so, like, why would I put my time into scrolling through things when I can be talking with one another? And that's my mindset. But I think the better viewpoint is it's not so much I don't have time for it, I didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow up with the technology in the realm that the people in their 20s and teens are dealing with right now. And so rather than me going, I just don't get it, stay away from me, whatever, I still have a a call to share the story. I still have a call to engage with younger generations and just have conversations. I don't have to understand everything they're doing, but I do have an obligation as, as a follower of Jesus to share the story and share my story. And be honest with my story and the fact that, like, my life was not hunky-dory picture-perfect. And trust that
1: God's story is going to resonate.
0: Just because I don't understand what some people are are doing doesn't mean it's my free pass to not engage them. And I think that's important for us to understand as a congregation of people, as a, as a body of believers, as the church, just because we don't understand doesn't give us the green light not to be apart. Does it make us uncomfortable? Does it mean we understand it? Does it mean that we're, not, we're gonna get a little frustrated? All those things are gonna happen a little bit, but that's okay. I'm not sure why we're so afraid of tension in our culture, but we are. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing or, or not understanding it enough or if we don't get it fully, we can't be a part. And because of that, we're, we're losing not just the story of God, but we're losing relationships, which is not what we're called to be living in. We're not called to like say, just figure it out and have, have a good time. So I'm learning again more and more that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and Israel as a church, we are just fickle people. We get excited about something, we run at really hard, and then before you know it, we're on to something else, or maybe we've just forgotten about it, and we we just drop it. It can be real easy to drop that when the generational
1: situations come up. But don't, don't, don't let go. Don't
0: give up on the story because here we are. Like, And so I, I, I was looking through this, this Judges chapter two, this 10 and 11, like, oh my goodness. This sounds so relevant to where we are because as Orangewood, as any other Christian church, most likely in the US, the big question pastors and congregations are facing is what happened To the 20s and 30-year-olds, where did they go?
1: I'm curious
0: if we got complacent enough, if I look back in through my church history and the recent church history is the church in the 90s got really comfortable with the corporate mindset where the pastor was basically the head of it all and just did it and ran the programs, and, and, and just picked a few people, and everyone else was able to come on in and consume. And so why share the story if you're able to come in and take off? And, and, and what, what, what ownership do you have in that? Now, I'm picking, and I'm, I'm poking at a church model from a, from a couple of decades ago, and that's not completely 100% accurate and true. But we do see that model that puts out to the point where like the church people can come in they can hear and they can just go. And what's the call in their life? And it wasn't because we just needed to do it that way. It's because things were good. If you're around in the 80s and 90s, like, generally speaking, life was pretty easy. There were some hard things that went on. But as, as a country went, things, were, things ran pretty smooth. So Where's the stress? Where's where's the trouble? Where's the heartache? Why do, do we need to remember God and everything? Because you know, we, we pray to God and things are good and we'll get to that later, because we have these things going on. And and before you know it, the story gets lost. And then we're a generation later going, what happened to everyone? What happened? And I took that and I took that thought process and I was put it into Orangewood and, and where we are and where we're going. As a church here in Phoenix, as Orangewood Nazarene Church, I think we have been in this holding pattern because we've, we purchased this, new loca- this building, a new location, and we're all kind of like waiting to kind of move. And I think it's great. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the holding pattern. I just think all of us kind of had this point where we didn't expect the holding pattern to be so long. Right? Like, we're still kind of like waiting, like, what's going on? Well, the good news is so you guys know our permits cleared. That's great. Yeah, it's huge. But here's the thing here's where the kicker comes in, right? Permits cleared. We got about a month or so before we can build. We got some things to like figure out and and some final details.
1: But there's still.
0: Maybe it's not a bad thing that we're in this holding pattern. Maybe it's not bad to be purposely having to wait.
1: I don't think it is.
0: It makes us uncomfortable. But I think in my, the notion that I'm getting, this, what I'm seeing from us as a whole, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I'm starting to see us like disconnect from this area because we're going somewhere else, and that's fine. I think that's natural. Think about if you've ever moved from one house to another different part of the city. Maybe you start pulling away from some friends, like, okay, I'm I'm moving, I'm going around. Uh, maybe that's just us because we've moved from state to state and we kind of have to do this every now and then. But I think it's a natural thing for us to go through this process of kind of going, okay, we've done great things here. We've been a part of some amazing movements of God in this location, but now as we get ready to move and we're kind of, anticipating the next, we're kind of pulling back and we're waiting to start ministries. I think it's good, but I want us to be ready to engage. When we make the move and we land where we're gonna land and the next spot we're gonna be in, I hope you guys understand that it's gonna be us with God, not the pastor's with God and everyone coming in, if we're going to engage the community around us, it's going to take us. And I'm hopeful and excited that we will be ready to engage. Because I was reading a couple authors and and they all kind of started saying some similar things, that there are about seven nations or seven tribes of Israel that when they went into the promised land, because they didn't root out everything they needed to root out, I want, to, I want to kind of paraphrase this. and I want to read it this way because I was like, oh, I kind of like that. These seven tribes out of the 12 owned the land, but they didn't possess the land. And because they didn't possess the land, they couldn't enjoy the land. I think about that in our context as a church. We own the land over on 7th Street and Thunderbird, but if we don't possess it and be fully board of what God is going to want us and call us to do, we will never fully enjoy the land. Are we tracking with that? Great, we'll be debt-free in that building. That's awesome and that is huge. And I'm not making any light of that because most churches go into debt for buildings they can never get away from it. So for us not to have the financial burden of the building is massive, so we own it. But if we don't possess it, we won't enjoy it. And that possessing it is what is God calling us individually and together as a body of believers to do in that place. See the generations coming together and, and getting ready to do something, like just tell the story, to be a part of the story, to to not let it drop. We are walking examples of God's glory and goodness because God, if you are in a saving relationship, if you've been saved by grace, you, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. What I'm excited about with this place that we're going to on 7th Street and Thunderbird is that we have purchased a location that is smaller than what we're used to, which is gonna force us to be creative. And it's gonna force us to be not so building-centric for the movement of God, but people-centric, church-centric out in the world to do great things and to come into the place to share the goodness of God. It doesn't mean we won't have things there and everything else, but our focus is gonna have to be in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends, with our other circles of influence. Because I don't want us to get into that, that cycle that we're gonna see in Judges of, Everything's great with God, and then all of a sudden, like we've lost our way, and we had to deal with this punishment, and I—that's I, not—that's not a cycle I—I I desire to be a part of. But what's great about the stories of judges that we're going to get into is these unexpected people are going to come into play people that we didn't expect that came out of left field all of a sudden are leading God's people. And, and, and so our context for that is who then, right?
1: Who's going to share the story? The ordinary. You, the I, the... We're going to
0: be able to do some great things with the leading of the Spirit. We're going to be part of things that we weren't expecting. We're going to be a part of things that we never thought were possible.
1: If we possess it, own it, and enjoy it.
0: How does that work, though? I think it's easier than we realize. So we talked about those five thresholds, right? Remember those little five ways of people coming to Jesus and all that good stuff? Okay, great, right? But how? Deuteronomy chapter six. If you're curious, like, God, how do I, how do I get myself onto this track with you? Deuteronomy chapter six. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter six. Remember, tell the stories be thankful. Be thankful for everything, which means get into the practice. Get into the practice of of thanking God for the big things, but also thanking God for the mundane moments in life. As weird as that sounds, God, thank you for a moment that I can sit here on my couch and just kind of rest. God, thank you for the fact that I can get in this car that's Seems to be held together by duct tape and bailing wire, but it gets me to where I need to be. God, thank you for this meal that I have. Because you know what? My check was short this week and I wasn't sure how I was going to eat. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, I want to say thank you again. God, God, thank you. Because when we start thinking,